shows, uh, we're going to allow reasonable follow-up questions, and I get to determine what's reasonable. It's part of my my pay. So uh, we got to get out of here. We got to get Jerry out of here, like ASAP, because I guess his ride to leaving. So um, who are we missing? Winston, did he? Jim. Jim, are you going to be? Are you coming? No. Well, where's Parker? I don't, I don't blame him. I wouldn't show up either. And there's Scott. Scott. You're about to get held in contempt of court, pal. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, here we go. So, Winston, this is the first one's for you. Why the hats off? Why do you, why do we have the hats off during prayer? Um, at the beginning of the conference, we have that. Uh, I won't take. We won't go to this passage, but take a look at First uh, Corinthians eleven, and it's commanded. Okay, Scott, this one's for you. What is the what is the best piece of advice? For someone leading her wife during their fair, his wife during their first year of marriage. The, the best piece, piece of advice for somebody leading their wife in the first year of marriage. Correct. Okay. Matt. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the best uh, piece, well, one of the best pieces of advice is to get plugged in with an older godly couple. Um, it, it's, in your first year of marriage, I, I needed a lot of help. My wife needed a lot of help. Um, and uh, I didn't want all the the interaction um, in terms of what um, needed to happen to be coming from me. I wanted my wife to have a godly woman in her life that would be able to sympathize with her, and uh, I needed somebody to hold me accountable as well. So I, I think that would probably be the best piece of advice. Jerry, this is for you. The problem of evil and sin has always confused me. How can we have free will as humans when God knows and predestined our path. Can God predestine someone not to go to heaven? If predestination is true, do we really have free will to make those sinful choices? 
Another softball. <laughs> Gentlemen, to ask the question of was it the best for God to create us with, full, with free will seems to me to question the character of God. That everything in the Bible tells me that what He does, He does for His own glory, number one, and our best interest, number two. And if that is true, then creating us with free will was in our best interest. So that question in my mind is off the table. Now, having created free will, for it to be free, it must be able to oppose another will. And the essence of sin is opposing the will of God. And so once that die got cast in Eden, then we're off to the races. Are we called to change society to reflect God's commandments and make heaven on earth? No. Well said. Anybody want to add to that? Yeah, we talked about that. Okay, Winston. Can we depend on God's protection? What about times when he allowed evil, terrible, cruel things to happen to us? Say that again. Can we depend on God's protection? What about times when he allows evil, terrible, cruel things to happen to us? Well, as Jerry quoted out of Hebrews 13, he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we can pretend God is there and nothing, nothing comes into our life that God does not sanction. Even the consequences of our misbehavior. He's the one that determines what the consequences are and when the consequences are. And by the way, those consequences may be in this life and they may be in the next life. So we have to, by faith, nothing is going to touch you that he doesn't sanction. And so we can rest in that. Because he is sovereign and he is good. And those are two pylons in our faith that we have to constantly pound deeper and deeper. Because men, chances are, if not all of us, most of us will have times in our lives when our circumstances do not look like they're in our best interest and they certainly don't feel like they're in our best interest. But men, let me just remind you. I lost my wife last April and it's the best thing ever happened to her. Yeah, I just want to give a recommendation. Uh, if any of you have not heard uh, Bryce's talk, Bryce Copas's talk, uh, is that going to be on this website? We've, we've got it on the website. All right. Yeah. It, it, the title of it is called The Gift of Pain. 
that's a foundational talk. It's unbelievably well done, uh, and it'll address this question. Thank you. That's listen to that talk. Bryce Copas talk, and it's called the gift of pain. It should be on that website. Must, must listen to that. It's either on our website or it's on the Southwest website. So, uh, Chris, this is for you. If Jesus is and always was and always was with God, was Jesus fully God when he descended into hell during his resurrection? And if so, does God separate himself to descend into hell and still claim to be God? So out of all the previous questions, this is the one you're giving me. It is. <laughs> I owe you. Actually, you owe me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to respectfully defer to um, my brothers on my left to delve into that. <laughs> this reminds you, Chris, the cowardly go to hell. <laughs> Gentlemen, when Jesus was on the cross, he said a few things. And one of the things he said was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me suggest to you at that moment, the Godhead was split and God turned his back on his son. But after that, he says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It was split on the cross, but reunited before he physically died. And so whatever he did after that, he did as God. All right, this one is for Jerry. So go ahead and keep your microphone, Jerry. I have a mentee who is looking at enlisting. I am... Uh, I'm hesitant to encourage him because it seems contradictory to Christianity. How does a Christian love his enemies and do a job where he's sworn to kill his enemies? How does a rifle, rifleman turn the other cheek? How does a Christian live by the golden rule and volunteer to invade a foreign country? Well, gentlemen, Romans 13 talks about the relationship of citizens, Christians in particular, to the state. And God, in that, in that chapter, endows the state with the sword to exercise as it pleases. And it has been the belief of Christians virtually from the get-go that if the state is not asking me to do something that violates my conscience or violates the scripture, then I am to obey the state. And you may be a pacifist, in which case you shouldn't be in the army. But if you are not, then I would argue that the state is given the sword by God and you therefore are obeying the state when you do what they ask you to do. 
Okay, Jerry, this is for you again. If I believed I was saved, turned away from God, and blasphemed, can salvation be lost? Or is coming back to God a prodigal son's situation? This weekend you've spoken a lot about hell, punishment, but nothing about grace and forgiveness. Where does forgiveness and grace come in? Well, gentlemen, grace is the foundation of everything. If, if grace is not, I am not. If grace is not, you are not as a follower of Jesus Christ. The only reason for not mentioning grace in this setting is because the church today is drunk on grace and have used grace as a license to sin. But that's, grace is, is everything. As long as you're alive, and the Spirit of God compels you, listen to the Spirit of God and repent. How God deals with that is how God deals with it. Gentlemen, the elect are the elect are the elect. Again, we do not know who they are. We walk by faith. But the elect will be saved. Repent and get it right between you and Jesus. Let me add one more thing to that, men. You cannot move forward in your walk with Christ if you do not believe you are elect. Otherwise, discouragement, just if, you, if, if, you're, if you're keeping score uh, of your life, it, it's so discouraging, you, you forfeit. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not on me, not on my circumstances, on Him. Winston, this is for you. At what age is it appropriate to baptize our children? How do we identify if their faith, faith is inherited or their own? That's a tough one. Um, I think you just uh, it is subjective, but uh, if they, uh, if you think they understand and they uh, respond, and uh, we heard a testimony this morning of uh, one at a very early age, and so uh, um, I'm just thinking of my own kids. Uh, I think the one, the earliest one, he was about, uh, I don't know, eight, I guess, and uh, heard the gospel. And I mean, it just, there was no question. He moved from darkness to light. So uh, I don't, uh, I don't, you're just going to have to go on, uh, on an individual basis there. So. Okay, uh, Jerry, this one's for you. I think this may be your, your last one, but this is fairly close to the one that Winston answered earlier. Everyone says God wants what's best for us, but what do you do? What do you say to those of us who God has allowed and created terrible circumstances? There was no Romans 8:28 good 
that has come from it. It only served to break my faith in his goodness. I have an unhealthy fear he's just waiting to crush and hurt me again. Gentlemen, the life is, that life is unfair is obvious. As Winston pointed out earlier, twin pillars of a walk with Christ are the sovereignty and goodness of God. And men, I know personally the spiritual vertigo that I undergo when I'm in pain. And I also know that he could push me past my limit very easily. But if he is not sovereign, and if he is not good, my brothers, you are barking up the wrong religious tree. There is no hope if he is not both of those things. Because if it is the fickle finger of faith, if it is Satan that is doing these things to you, then you serve a God who is not in control. Gentlemen, brokenness, a broken and contrite heart is what the Lord looks for. And I know it may not be consolation now, but I would be very, very surprised if, if, if in eternity the things for which we will be most grateful are those things which hurt us most deeply. Absent pain, we all go to hell. Why is it disproportionate? I don't know. But great faith is born in clinging when circumstances say there's no reason to cling. And the reward for that is great. He is there. He loves you. He will never forsake you. And this is just for whoever wants to take it. Um, (laughs) When do we accept others where they are at? Us calling out our brothers in their sin and idolatry. So I guess the question is, when is it okay to accept others where they're at versus calling out our brother when they're in sin and idolatry. <laughs> Chris, come on. We got you. We're paying you big money to be up here. <laughs> that check has bounced in the past. <laughs> um men the the scriptures, I don't believe, call us to be the miniature Holy Spirit in other men's lives. However, um, they do explicitly um, instruct us that 
we must uh, deal with a brother when he's in willful disobedience sin. And we do that because we love him, not because we place ourselves in a superior position over him or better than him, but it's an act of love. In fact, it could be the greatest act of love because you're willing to sacrifice the temporal relationship and the flack that comes with it from the greater Christian community as you do it alone. Um, but it is done in his best interest. So, as these men have said to me in the past, the good news is uh, you get to determine what that looks like, what that balance looks like. The bad news is is you get to stand before Jesus and defend your position. But it is a, it is a, whenever we're dealing with other men, I would suggest at least a barometer that I try to use is that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm self-evaluating my, myself first, and I'm s- slow and hesitant to do it, and I'm doing it for, for his good and his good only. Uh, I would just add that, uh, that the scriptures are very clear in Matthew 18 that if a brother is in willful, identifiable sin... And uh, what that means is if he's breaking the negative commandments, adultery and etc., and not the positive commandments of love your wife as Christ loved the church, or because the positive commandments <clears throat> you cannot be uh, definitive on. If I, you guys that are married, if I said, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, you'd start to squirm and say, well, I took out the trash last night, you know. So, But if it's the negative commandments and they're willful, it's a practice, then out of love, we, have, we are commanded. And if we don't do it, we are in sin. We have to go to them and first, uh, hopefully, as we talk to them, they will they will uh, change directions or repent. And that's, that's the purpose of it. If they won't, then the Matthew 18 says, take a couple, another brother or two and make sure that the, they are in the sin. And then if they won't, then you, break, then you take it to the church or those that know them around them and you break fellowship and uh, you then you don't have fellowship with them. And men, that is love. Because if a guy is in willful, uh, a professing Christian is in willful sin, then he is damaging himself. He is hurting himself, not just here, but in eternity. And the greatest thing you can do for him is to try to get him to change directions. And as uh, we've uh, it's been pointed out this weekend the, the the body of Christ has refused to do that, and now we have no boundaries. And so, uh, and then uh, I would I would just refer you to First uh, First Corinthians five. They had a situation where they had to do that, and uh, so there's some uh, instruction there also. Can I just make a comment to the brother that asked about suffering? If you haven't already, let me encourage you, 
to read um, C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. Thank you. I was going to add to that, too. That's, that's like no other. Um, Scott, how do you define the church? The church is the body of Christ. That's how I would describe it. And um, I think we're all encouraged to, um, well, it's commanded, uh, not to forsake assembling together. And uh, I think we need to make sure that we obey that and um, what our participation in any given local institutional church looks like is I think a stewardship issue and um, so I, I would make a distinction between participating in a particular organization and being involved in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, somebody said, and you know who you are, I don't know who of you it is, I don't remember, uh, said bitterness is a cancer to the soul. If you exercise Matthew 18 on another so-called so, so Christian and they reject you, and now I live with guilt on them leaving, how do I let that guilt go? And move forward. I'm guilty. I said it. Uh, read that again, would you please? So, uh, you said uh, bitterness is cancer to the soul. If you exercised Matthew 18 on another so-called Christian and they rejected you, and now I live with guilt because they left. How do I let that guilt go and move forward? Okay. If I understand it, let me make sure I understand it. So you've exercised church discipline, and now you're the enemy of the person that you exercised exercise discipline. Is that that's, your understanding? That's the way Rob? I read it. And All then right. they left and went their merry way. Okay. You have no basis for your guilt. Because you have been you have command you've been commanded to do exactly what you did. So you uh, so for the Christian for the Christian that is in that repents, there is no there is no place for guilt in our lives because Christ paid the price for all of our sins. But in this case. You're not even, that, that's a false guilt. And so, let me just say to you, men, if you exercise, this isn't going to be right on point, but if you exercise, are involved in participating in church discipline, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you, you are not, you're not going to be popular, and the body of Christ as a whole is going to reject you. That's just the way it is, in the way it is today. And so get used to it. But let's not be guilty about that, because 
That rejection is no big deal, fellas. Can you imagine the rejection the Savior took? Now, let me just say one other thing. And sometimes the enemy will be happy to whip you upside the head with guilt, false guilt. And you need to just resist him. But you've got a false guilt that you need to just get rid of. Get before the Father and ask him, ask him, help me, help me get this thing away. Take it away from me. Help me. And maybe start thanking God for how people are rejecting you. So that it'll maybe help you appreciate the rejection that Jesus went through for us. And now I'm going to let Jerry uh, clean my comments up. He steps in it and I pay. I would just, the only thing I would add to what Winston said is that rejoice and be glad when men persecute you for the sake of righteousness. You did the right thing. Rejoice. Be glad when you're persecuted. Great is your reward. So I'm I'm going to leave this to whoever understands it. It's it's a, it's sort of long. Um, let me just let me just start with. Wouldn't you have to say that fear is no motivator for a believer's obedience? And this is reflecting back to First John four fifteen and sixteen and seventeen about love being perfected in. So, whoever thinks they can tangle with that one. Gentlemen, there are... I would, I would argue that that question right there is how we got to where we are. You lose the fear of God. And you think you're going to serve him just because you love him so much. You're living a lie. Jesus commands. Someone in this conference quoted Matthew 10:28. Fear him. The author of Hebrews. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise of entering his rest, some, some should seem to have come short of it. You are to fear and not to fear. They're both are true. But you have to know, gentlemen, you're dealing with God Almighty. He's not like you. Someone, someone, Winston read out of uh, Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. He is not like you. If you're not afraid of him, you don't know who you're dealing with. And gentlemen, I, I, let, me, let me just make this point. Christianity has two gods. One is God the way I want him to be. And the other is God the way he really is. It's very easy to worship the first God. The second God is the one you want to get to know. 
down on the table, there's a, a book, a workshop book on fear. Um, there's a bunch of great books down there. I'll make a pitch for the table downstairs before you leave. Uh, there's all these topical studies down there, and there's this topical study on fear and um, doing it and reading the scriptures for yourself rather than just trusting Jerry and, and, and Winston on their talks and what they're saying. It, you get in there and struggle with this issue and read the scriptures yourself. It's all over. Old and New Testament. But there's a good study book down there you can use. Let me just say one more thing. Uh, in that question, you quoted 1 John 4, and uh, and the uh, just part of that quote says that perfect perfect love casts out fear. Someone asked Chris that that uh, question uh, in his talk, and that's true. Perfect love casts out fear. Let me see the hands of men. Here, I'm going to stand up so I can see all of you, which ones you are. Let me see the hands of men that perfect that have perfect love. Let me see. Come on. Well, if we don't have perfect love, then guess what? We have fear, don't we? And as I pointed out in my talk, you cannot, you cannot love God without fear in him. And as you pointed in your talk, if you don't fear God, you're going to fear something else. Yep. So you you're going to have well, well, you're going to have fears. Yep. Cuz your fear your fear is is tied to your hope. And so if your hope is in God, you're going to fear him. If you don't fear God, then your hope is somewhere else other than God. So let me just follow up. I think the follow-up question was, Do can you believe, be, consider yourself a believer, born again, and yet not fear? Only God knows that, but I would say to you, you have no biblical basis to believe you're a believer. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, <clears throat> Winston, how do we balance our identity as co-heirs with Christ and the reality of living in the flesh? I think uh, Chris, in his, uh, in one of his. Uh, PowerPoints had a little illustration of imputation. First Corinthians five, or Second Corinthians five twenty one, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as Chris pointed out in his in his message, that God imputed Christ's righteousness to us and our sin 
to Christ. And that, that's, that's a financial term. It's, a, it's, it's like uh, if I went to your bank and said, all right, here's $100, put it in John Wanberg's account. And the girl put it in there, and she imputes it to his account, and then it's his. That's what happened when we became a Christian. God charged to our account righteousness. And he charged to Christ's account our sin. And so we need to understand that because that's the, that's the, the guts, if you will, of the, of the gospel. If we don't understand imputation. And so through the eyes of God... We're righteous. And so we need to, that's what obedience is all about. He says, now act like it. And yet, we falter every day, don't we? And we repent because we want to keep fellowship with Christ. But that's not who we are. We're, we're the child of God trying to mature into a full Christ-like child of His. So we have to make a distinction in our mind that who, who am I? I'm a child of God. Through God's paradigm, I'm righteous. Strictly by the grace of God. And man, do I hate when I fall short of that, but I do it every day. And by the way, God knew that. Or he wouldn't have given us First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he says, move along your path. And I will gradually make you more like myself and have a deeper relationship with you and prepare you to have a relationship you have no idea what it's going to be like, the wonder of it in eternity. And I'd just add, Winston, I would encourage whoever asked that question to study Romans 6 and 7 and, and see what Paul, uh, Paul struggled with it, that very question. Don't forget 8. Right, just try the whole book, right? <laughs> Six and seven to struggle. Eight's the victory. Okay, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, and uh, we want to uh, thank these guys for being here and giving us our time. Thank you.